0: Welcome to New Season Ministry with Evangelist Jeremy Cook. We hope today's message will challenge, encourage, and uplift you in your walk with the Lord. Enjoy the message. If you have your Bibles, I want you to go with me tonight again to the Book of Revelation, Chapter One, and uh, we're going to be continuing our we're going to be continuing our series. Uh, in the uh, in the book of Revelation, going to be talking about that. I believe it's important. I believe that it is necessary uh, for us as people to go through uh, to go through the Word of God to be able to talk about the Word of God to look at what God's Word has to say. You've heard me. You've heard me say this before, and I'm going to say it again. Is because when you go through the Word of God and you go line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little, uh, and you begin to look at exactly what the what the Word of God has to say, um, we have to we have to be willing to address some things, Amen. We have to be willing to talk about some things, and so I love going through, I love going through the Word of God. I love looking, I love looking at the Word of God, and we've been talking about Revelation. We've talked about the reason why we, why it is important that we study the book of Revelation. Why, why do we look at this? Who was it written to? It was written to a group of people in a church that at the time was in severe persecution. We're going to talk a little bit about that more uh, here this evening. Uh, and Jesus gave the revelation of himself to John, letting him know that, hey, the time is at hand. And we talked last week, we talked last week about the urgency of the message. The urgency, the fact is, is that we're almost at the end of this thing. Can somebody say amen? amen. Uh, there's nothing. I know people are looking, uh, people are looking over at Israel right now. And and I've read reports and, and I, when I make mention of some of these things, you know, People are probably going to have questions, and if you've got questions, we can talk about it after service. But I hear people talk about, you know, I've read reports this week about how the you know, well they've they've got red heifers over there in Israel, and and they're getting ready to institute the sac re institute the sacrificial system uh, over there, and we know that those are all signs of the times, and we all understand all all of that. But when we talk about the rapture of the church, nothing needs to be fulfilled.
1: There's there's not a
0: promise that has to be fulfilled. The next great event on God's calendar, I believe, is a trumpet's getting ready to sound. And God's going to call the church home. Amen. And uh, we believe in the imminent return of Jesus Christ. We believe in the imminent. When I say imminent, we believe that it could happen any moment. It could happen. It can happen while I'm preaching. It will be okay if it happens while I'm preaching tonight. Amen. I, that the trumpet sounds in the church and the church is just uh, is just called away, and we are just and we're called up to meet the Lord in the air. But knowing that there is an urgency to the message that we ought to tell everybody that we can that Jesus is getting ready to come soon. Amen. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming soon. And so tonight we're going to look at a few verses, we're going to look at a few verses of scripture here tonight in John's gospel. Because the book of Revelation is written to a group of people who are in severe persecution. And what I find interesting, or what I find hopeful in all of this, is is knowing that it's in this midst of pain, it's in this midst of trouble, it's in this midst of great difficulty that John and the church find themselves in that Christ reveals himself in the greatest way possible for that time. And that gives me hope tonight, church, to understand this fact. It gives me hope to understand the fact that Christ reveals himself in the midst of our deepest pain and in our deepest trouble. It helps me to understand that sometimes it takes a valley. The Florida boys years ago used to sing a song, but without a valley, how would I ever know? That his strong and loving hand would never let me go. How would I know for sure that I'm secure and safe wherever I roam without a valley? How would I know? Andre Crouch would write a song and he would say, Through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. Through it all, I've learned, I've learned to trust in God. He would write, he would write the great verse of that song that says, I thank him for the mountain. And I thank him for the valleys. And I thank him for the storms that he, walked, that he, that he brought me through. For if I'd never had a problem, I wouldn't know that he could solve it. And I wouldn't know what faith in God could do. And that lets me know, that brings great hope to me, church, that in the midst of my deepest, trial, in the midst of my deepest pain, in in the midst of my deepest persecution, it is there that I believe that God reveals himself the greatest. It says, see, we don't know, and I'm going to try not to stray away from my notes too much here tonight. You see, we don't know in order for him to reveal himself as a healer, guess what? We've got to go through some sickness. Uh, in order in order for for him to reveal himself as a provider, it's probably we got to go. We got to go through some times when we don't know at times maybe where our next meal is going to come from, or at times when our next where our next dollar uh, is going to come from. In order for Him to reveal Himself as a as a deliverer, we've got to find ourselves, Brother Scotty, in the midst of a problem that we don't know how to get out of. But it's in the midst of our sickness. It's in the midst of our difficulty. It's in the midst, it's sometimes the very hell that we have to walk through. It's at those times that God shows up and he reveals himself mightily in a great and mighty way. You see, here's the thing. We ought to thank him sometimes that we've had to go through the story. See, we ought, to be able to, we ought to be able to praise him that at times we've had, as David would say in Psalm 23, that we had to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Sometimes we ought to thank God and say, God, I thank you that you were with me through these problems. God, I thank you that you were with me as I was walking through the sickness, as I was walking through when I didn't know how I was going to pay my bills. God, you showed up and and you made yourself and you made yourself real when I didn't have a way out. God, you made a way where there seems to be no way. Sometimes we ought to just give him praise for that. Amen. Amen. And that's what that's what Jesus did here for John. And I want us to look at this. It's a few verses of Scripture. And then, if the Lord will help me, we'll be done with chapter 1 tonight. Amen? John chapter 1. I want to read these verses of Scripture, and then we're going to go through it. John chapter 1. Let's start at verse number 9, and we're going to read through verse 18 tonight. John chapter 9 or John chapter 1, begin reading at verse number 9. The Bible says, I, John, both your brother and companion in tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard, a vo- I heard behind me a loud voice, as of a, as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. What you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Now next week, Lord willing, we're going to to start breaking down the specific messages that Jesus had for the churches. Verse 12, then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And his voice is as the sound of many waters. And He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. When I saw him, verse 17, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid, I am the first and the last. I am He who lives and was dead and behold I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of hell and of death. You may be seated tonight. See in this John is given a revelation of Jesus Christ in the midst Of his greatest hour of need. In verse 9, he's going to tell them, he's going to say that I, John, who am both your brother and your companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was on the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. John finds himself. I want you to look at this. Uh, John finds himself on an island. He finds himself on an island that is ten miles by six miles. It is a. It is a prison. It is a prison work camp. It is a place that that prisoners are sent that are sent to die. It is a place that that the Roman government is using for this for people that they believe. That are a danger to the Roman government. If we can't kill you, we'll make people we'll we'll send you into exile and into obscurity, and you can use the rest of your days uh, working in this prison camp. But look at the reason why that John is here. John is here, not because he has committed a crime. Not because he has killed somebody, not because he's stolen anything, not because uh, not because of uh, of anything that we would think that would constitute sending somebody to prison or sending somebody to jail. But John, uh, John the Revelator, here is going to say, "I've been sent to the Isle of Patmos for one reason and one reason only. I'm here for the testimony, or I am here." Because of my faith in Jesus Christ, I am here because of whom I represent, because who I belong to. And here's the interesting thing: John's faith brought him to this moment. You see, there was no other there was no other way around it. John couldn't John could have never fathom that his faith was gonna was gonna wind him up on the aisle that is called Patmos in a prison work camp but he says I'm here because of my faith and my testimony in Jesus Christ and so it is amazing to me brother John in the fact that his faith brought him to this place you can slice it however that you want to you can try to finagle your way out of it that you want to but I believe that it was the will of God to bring him to this place. It was his faith and his faith alone that brought John into this intersection where he could receive such a divine revelation. See, John was having those very same issues that the rest of his church family were, that were, were facing. I mean, they were giving their lives, their Faith would bring them to the ultimate decision. Are we going to stand for God or are we not going to stand for God? Are we going to stand for the cause of Jesus Christ? Are we going to stand for the cross? Or are we going to let the culture That is around us uh, Make us bend and make us bow But John and the rest of the church Decided that we weren't going to bend We weren't going to bow We weren't going to proclaim Anybody else Lord But Jesus Christ And so their faith Brought them to this place Where has our faith brought us to? Oh Oh See, see, I, I, I'm, going to, I, I'm going to try to get off into a rabbit. But what does our faith actually cost us? See, we want to talk about our faith about receiving things. Oh, see, that's where let's see, that's where we, as the Pentecostal Charismatic Church, sometimes get a little lopsided. We want to talk about our faith about how that we can receive something. We even got our anthems that we sing in our churches and we make part of our worship where we say, you know what? I'm going to go to church and I'm going to get my blessing right now and I'm going to get everything that belongs to me and I'm going to receive every blessing and, and I'm thankful for it. Don't Don't get me wrong. God does bless. But sometimes our faith will bring us to a place that it'll cost us something. You see, I'm afraid. Oh, Lord, help me. See, I'm afraid that what has happened is is that, is that the church of America, we serve the God of the American dream. We want two cars, we want a fine house. And we somehow think that that's God's blessing in our life. Can I tell you what you, can I tell you that type of gospel won't work in the Middle East. Because their faith is going to bring them to a point that one day they're going to have to give their life for the cause of Jesus Christ. But we're over here preaching about getting a new car. We're over here preaching about getting a new jet. We're over here preaching about getting a new house. We're over here preaching about getting more. God, give me more, 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 give me more. more. And if we don't get more and more and more, then somehow, oh, I'm preaching right now. Somehow there's something wrong with our faith when there's people all around this world that their faith is actually costing them something. They're giving their life. Can I tell you, if your faith hasn't cost you something and brought you to a place to where you either got to say it's God or it's nothing else. And that's what happened to John here. You see, his, he, see he was faceless. See, he was at, he was in Patmos. I found this interesting. I, I, I was actually looking at this today, Pastor Tony. I was looking at this today, and here's what I found out. I want you to look at this. Patmos actually means the place of killing. Look it up. Research it. it, it Patmos is actually the place of killing. It is the place that the enemy sent John to and hopes that he was just going to die. But lo and behold, what the enemy didn't know is that God was already working all of this out for his good. Because God was getting ready to show himself And the most glorious way in the place that was supposed to kill him. Uh, I feel like this is good tonight. You see, let, let, let let me tell you this tonight. More often than not, it's usually in the thing that you feel like that is going to kill you. That you receive the greatest demonstration of God's presence in your life. Oh, let me, let me say that again. It's usually in the thing that you feel like is going to kill you that you receive the greatest demonstration of God's presence in your life. You see, can I tell you, can I tell you the issue in the Pentecostal charismatic church? We become addicted to the event, but we don't like the process. Come on. We've become addicted to the event. You see, see we want to run, run to all the revivals. We want to run to all the prophetic conferences. We want to run to all the miracle crusades and hoping that something is going to happen because we're addicted to the event, but we don't like the process. I'll say it like this. If we're human, we love the process of what it takes to make a baby. But we don't like. The nine month process. That it takes to deliver that baby. We like the event. That helped make the baby. But we don't, want, we don't like going through the process. That takes getting the baby. There. And see what happens is. Is that a lot of the times. We, we want to bypass the process. To get to the promise, we want want the preacher to lay hands on us. We want the prophet to call us out. We want to come to the revival. We want to come to the camp meeting and have them, and, 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 and have the big blowout service, and everything gets fixed in that moment. We never, I want to have to go through the process, and there are at times things that we have to address. We don't want to have to go through the process of, 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 of getting something, but understanding that maybe we need to refocus on our prayer life. Mean need to refocus on our devotion life. But I have found out that it's in this process that God always reveals himself. The thing that you think is going to kill you is really the thing that God wants to reveal himself the greatest in your life. Let me just say this before I move on. We curse so many things that we think comes from the enemy when in actuality it actually comes from God.
1: Well, I don't think I get a
0: lot of amens on that because we think that everything negative that comes our way has to be from the devil. We think, we, we, and we start binding and pleading and rebuking and everything but there are sometimes God takes us through the process. Sometimes He causes us to have to go through the fight. Sometimes we have to go through the persecution. Sometimes we have to go through people talking bad about us. Sometimes we have to go through, can I say, sometimes we have to just go through the mess in order to receive the glory. Because, well, here we go. What do you tell the children of Israel when it was God himself that said, you know what, I actually caused them to go hungry. Well, preacher, I just don't believe that God would ever do that. Then you take that up with God because that's what the Bible says. The Bible says that he caused the children of Israel to suffer hunger. Why? So that he might prove them. That's not my opinion. That's the word of God. And we we either believe the word of God or we don't believe the word of God. But it's in those times of pressure. It's in those times of uh, of great difficulty. It's going to reveal who we really are. It's in those moments of deep pain and agony. It's really going to reveal who you are. And I'm getting ready to get to the next verse here because... When we go through these moments of deep pain, and deep agony, we've got to make a decision how we're going to respond. I can tell you how John responded. Are you ready? Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, and verse number 10, he says, I was in the spirit. Now, what does that mean that he was in the spirit? I don't believe that means that he was in a Pentecostal service. I don't believe I don't believe that that I don't believe that, that meant that they had, they they had the worship band cranked up and that you know I'm, and you know and they were I, I don't believe that they were doing Jericho marches around the uh, around the Isle of Patmos. I believe that what it meant for him to be in the spirit simply meant. That in the midst of what he was going through, in the midst of what he was facing, it wasn't going to affect him in his relationship with Almighty God. So when he says, I was in the spirit in the Lord's day. And there's a lot of talk there's a lot of there's a lot of commentaries out there well what does it mean what is it what does it mean is the lord's day was it is it saturday or 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 is it or is it Sunday? what do you he I've heard people say, you know, well, he was in the, he knew it was somehow, some way he knew it was Sunday and he knew it was time to go to church. I don't think that that's what that meant. And I don't think that that's what he means when he says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, because here's what Paul, the apostle would write. Paul, the apostle would say, sometimes what we do is that we esteem one day over the other. But here's the fact of the matter. Every day belongs to the Lord. So I don't know if it was Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, or Saturday. I just know that John, that John, he said this day belongs to the Lord. It don't belong to my circumstances. It don't belong It, it don't belong to the difficulty that is going through. I'm, I, I, I don't know. He may have thought about that, that letter that Paul wrote to, to the Philippians when he said in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4, I can just see that as he's moving a rock from here to over there, maybe he's quoting what Paul the apostle would say and he would say I'm going to rejoice in the Lord always and again I'm going to Rejoice! Oh, I know it's rough right now, but my worship and my praise is not dictated by the circumstances that are going on around me. But it's but it's predicated on the spirit that lives on the inside of me. My God, I feel it in this house right now. And the thing that we've got to understand is is this: either either the either the circumstances in our life they will either stifle our praise or they will perfect our praise. Let me say that again. Our circumstances that we go through, they're either going to stifle our praise. We're either gonna allow it to just to make us clam up, we're either gonna let it make us make us be silent and not be it. We'll, we'll, become, we'll become complainers and gripers instead of worshipers and praisers, or we will look at the situations in our life and we can be like Job with our hands lifted and say, Oh he slay me. Yet will I trust Him. I don't know about you, but regardless of what I'm going through, I'm still going to praise Him. Can somebody say that? And so here was the thing. You see, because see, what's going to happen here is that God is getting ready. God's getting ready to show Himself very real in this situation. He's going to show Himself very real to John in this situation. Because see, there's a connection between being in the Spirit and revelation. I'm going to say that again. There's a connection. Between being in the spirit. And receiving revelation. You can't receive revelation from God. Unless you are a person. That is indwelled. And led by the spirit. You cannot be a person of the flesh. And receive revelatory knowledge from the Lord. Just not going to happen. And so when he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, Jesus speaks to him in the midst of this because the Bible says that it was while I was in the Spirit that I heard a voice behind me, a loud voice as a trumpet. Verse 11, say that I am the Alpha and the Omega. In this he hears God's voice in the midst of what he's going through. And he hears a voice. And it's Jesus speaking. Saying I am the first. And I am the last. He said. John. You've got to understand something. You've got to understand that. Even in the midst of this. I'm in control. Even in the midst of this difficulty. I'm actually in control. I was in this When it began, and I'll be in it when it's over. We ought to take comfort in that. And he says, I need you to go tell the church I'm in control. Satan's not in control. We ought to take comfort in that. Satan is not in control. The kingdoms of darkness are not in control. Of what is going on. In the child of God. If we are bought. By the blood. If we have been sealed. By the spirit of God. As Paul the apostle would write. Unto the day of redemption. Satan. And his kingdom. And his minions. Have no authority or power over you. So it doesn't matter. What the circumstances look like doesn't matter and he says you go tell the church you go tell the church that I am in control maybe I don't know maybe Jesus had to remind him of Matthew 16 and 15 when he said I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it if it was true then while he was on the Isle of Patmos it has to be still true today that if we are blood washed, spirit filled, Satan cannot, are you ready? Cannot cross the bloodline. He cannot cross the bloodline. He does not, okay, I'm going to preach it right. He does not have access to you. He cannot reach you. You you may go through great trials and you may go through great difficulties, but greater is He that is in you than He that is in the world because the one who was dead but now is alive forevermore, He holds the keys to it all. He said, listen, Romans 8, chapter 8, verses 35 through 39, we, we we can quote this. He says, nothing can separate you from the love of God. He said, we may have, he said, we are all like sheep. He says, we are all like sheep being led to the slaughter. Now we don't, we see, that's the part we don't like because we have to understand that it may be led by the Spirit will bring us into some moments that feel like slaughter. But Jesus is saying, but nothing can separate you from his love. Again, let's go back. If you are spirit-filled, if you are blood-washed, nothing, absolutely nothing can separate you from the love of God. He says, tribulation can't do it. Persecution can't do it. Harrow can't do it. Nakedness can't do it. Sword can't do it. Height, nor any other creature can separate us from the love of God. And John begins to see this and I can just picture as he's hearing this. He hasn't even turned around to look yet.
1: All the Bible says is that
0: he hears this voice that is behind him. But the Bible says that when he turns around, verses 12 through 14, when he turns around and he looks to see who it is that's speaking to him, he says, I know that person. He says, I saw one in the midst of seven golden lampstands. The King James would say candlesticks. What are the lampstands? What do the lampstands represent? And Well, if you go down to verse 20, you will find that the lampstands actually represent the church. He said, and so when he turns around and he sees Jesus standing in the midst of seven golden candlesticks, he finds Jesus standing in the midst of the church. That's where he finds, he doesn't find Jesus, we don't find Jesus anywhere else, but in the midst of the church, because Jesus stands, we are the church, Jesus stands in the midst of us and here's that God does not do anything except he does it through the church I know we have our faults I know at times we're messed up I know at times we're jacked up I know that we can quote our faults a mile, uh, a mile. Or I know that everybody can say, "Well, what about this preacher that's failed? And what about this preacher that's messed up? What about that church down the road that that you, you, that, that didn't love like they were supposed to do? What about the? What about this? And what about that?" I, I I get all of that and those are all valid questions but as messed up and as jacked up as we are still whatever God decides to do God does it through the church it's God's church it's Christ's church he's the one that gave his blood for it and until he calls it until he calls us home he's still purifying he's still perfecting because at the end of it all he's going to have a glorious church he's going to have a church without spot and without blemish He's gonna have a church that is purified by the blood of, all my, of of Jesus Christ and we ought to think that God still uses messed up people like us. Amen. Hey, he says I saw him in the midst of the I saw him in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. He's, and he sees him like he's never seen him before, brother Johnny. John says, well, "Jesus, I know that you, but you ain't the lowly Nazarene. You ain't the one that's turning the other cheek now. You ain't the one that's that that's the meek and mild and, and, and mild Nazarene. You ain't the son of the carpenter. There's something different about you. He said. I, I, he said. I, I can just imagine John saying. I, I can imagine as he said. I, I think I remember seeing a glimpse of this at one time. Jesus when you took me, Peter and James, up on the mountain of transfiguration and we got to see a glimpse of who you actually really are. Because the Bible says that he, that he, that he had garments down to his feet with a golden band. His head and hair was white like wool. His eyes were like the flame of fire. His feet were like fine fine brass as it had been refined in a furnace. His voice was as the sound of many waters. What does all this mean? Because I want to tell you about the Lord that is on your side in all of this. You see, His garments speak of His royalty. You see, He at one time, while He was on this earth as a man, he would say foxes have holes and birds have nests. He said, but the son of man's got nowhere to lay his head at. But here we see the royalty. He was just a lowly Nazarene, but here he's a king. Oh. <laughs> his hair, that is white, his hair in his head that is white like wool speaks of his wisdom and his purity. Daniel would call him the ancient of days. He would cause him the one that he he would call the Bible would describe to him the one that is his wisdom. He is the he is the counselor. He is the wonderful counselor. He is the mighty God. He is the everlasting Father. He is the one that when I don't know when I when I don't know what to do for the guy I can to go to him because he knows exactly what to do. And he's pure, he's sinless. His eyes that as a flame of fire speak of His piercing judgment. See, I want to tell you, when Jesus came the first time, He came as the sheep led as a lamb to the slaughter that opened not His mouth. And He spoke, He spoke not a word. But when He comes the second time, oh, I feel it. When He comes the second time, He's bringing judgment with him and every eye is going to see oh and those that even pierced him and they're going to wail when they see oh, and, and, and that tells me that his eyes roam to the Bible says roam to and fro Throughout the earth, he sees everything. He he can pierce even when I think I'm even when I think I've got it covered up and nobody knows anything about it. His eyes can pierce into the deepest recesses of my heart and of my soul and know exactly what I am talking about. His feet that are like fine brass speak of his duration and his victory. In that time, brass was the, was the greatest metal. It was the most durable metal. That was known during that time, and with brass, nothing was gonna make it. Was gonna make it go off kilter one little bit. It's a stark contrast, and what Daniel saw and his vision when he saw when he saw the statue that had clay feet. You see, that God's gonna be destroyed, but there's a God that's got that feet. Like fine brass, and he's stable. You don't have to prop him up every morning. You don't have to wake him up. You don't have to, you don't have to get you have to give him a cup of coffee to get him started in the day. When he because he because he's the one that keeps us, and he that keepeth Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. He never wears out, he never gets tired, he never scratches his head, he's always stable. you never gonna have to worry about where he stands on anything because he's the same yesterday today, and forever. And His voice, His voice speaks of His authority. He said, I heard His voice was as the sound of many waters. His voice speaks of authority. He didn't say He wouldn't speak as they were leading Him to the cross. He opened not His mouth, but when He comes the second time, Brother Scott. He's going to speak, and out of his mouth goes a sharp two-edged sword, and he's coming to make war. Mm. Oh, and this will be a good time right here to let everybody that's watching by Facebook and everybody that's here: God's either going to, when Jesus shows up, he's either going to do two things. We're either going to do two things: we're either going to fight with him, or he's going to fight against us. Oh, I I know. I know that's heaven, but I tell you, here's the thing: if we're not, if if we've got sin, unrepented sin in our life, let me just say it here. I know it sounds archaic. I know it sounds old-fashioned. But if there's sin, if there we understand the Bible says, if we hold, if we regard iniquity in our heart. The Lord does not hear us. If there's unrepentant sin in our life, there is no, no sin that's ever going to make it into the kingdom of heaven. I don't care if we can be a good old boy or we can be a good old girl, but I tell you if we've got unrepentant sin, there's not one sin that's going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. There's not going to be one thing that There's not. And he said I'm going to cast all liars. I'm going to cast everything that is abominable. I'm going to cast the doubters. I'm going to cast the naysayers, everybody that put in the believe on me, eventually they are going to go into the lake of fire. I know that's not popular preaching and proper, and proper teaching in this day and age, but when Jesus comes back, he's, we're either going to fight with him or he's going to fight against us. And his voice, his word, it's what's going to make the difference. I'm almost done here, but here's the thing that's gonna that's going to uh, that brings me comfort. Are you ready? He says in his hands, he holds us. He holds seven stars. The seven stars represent the seven angels, the seven angels of the, of the churches. I believe represent the pastors of the messengers of the churches. We'll talk more about that. We'll talk more about that next week, but it, it lets me know, Brother Scotty, that he's got me in his hand. He's got me in his hand and he's going to fight for me. And in verses 17 and 18, when he sees this revelation of Jesus, what is John's response to seeing the glorified Christ? He falls at his feet. Can I tell you, when you experience the glory of God, there is a reaction. You cannot encounter the God of glory and just it not do something to you. So much I can say right there, but time is, John falls as a dead man, but Christ lays his hand on. Tell us John, John, don't be afraid. John, don't don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm, I'm, I'm the I, 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 I'm he who lives and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. And I hold the keys of death and of hell. I could go into one of my pet peeves right there, but I'm not going to do that right now. I'll just let you read that. The Bible only says that he holds the keys of death and of hell. But that's enough. That shows me, Brother Johnny, that all power belongs to him. That shows me that the one who lives and was dead and is now alive forevermore he holds the keys to everything. It's to let me know that hey, you may have to walk through the. He may have to. He may have even told John, John, you may have to die, but death actually has no power over you because I hold the keys to it. Wow. <laughs> Amen. You see, I've already conquered. I've already conquered death. And I've made the grave a great place for you and I to await the resurrection. And I hold the keys of hell. You see, it's amazing that Satan doesn't even own the keys to his own house. it lets me know. It lets me know that he is in control. And my brother and sister, whatever we find ourselves inside, here's the interesting thing. We, we don't know tribulation like John knew tribulation. We don't know persecution like the disciples in the church of that age knew persecution. See, we, we, we think a vaccine is persecution, but honestly, a vaccine's not persecution. I don't, care, I don't care what you feel about it one way or the other, but that's not persecution. Somebody becoming president that you don't like is not persecution. Changing the color of the carpet or singing a different style song in church that we don't like is not us suffering for Jesus. We, we don't know. Can I tell you, I, I truly, I was talking to another pastor and I, 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 I was talking to another pastor the other day at the corn festival. And we both had the same idea when we asked the question, what is it going to take for America to experience the revival that we all believe God wants to have for us. Because I'm going to tell you the so-called revivals that we think are revivals don't get mad at me when I say this, but they ain't producing the results that if they were truly a genuine move of God, they're not producing them. I'm a firm believer that maybe what it takes is for the things that we have put our trust and our confidence in to start crumbling all around us. I'm not saying I want any of that. I would prefer the church to wake up and to say, God, we trust in you. But even in the midst of Of the severity of all, God had a way of letting his people know, I'm with you and my glory is still revealed in your life. Would you stand with me? We hope you enjoyed today's message by evangelist Jeremy Cook. If you would like more information regarding new season ministry, to schedule Jeremy to minister at your event, or to support the ministry with a love gift, please contact us at 859-404-4007. Or you may email him at pastorjeremycook at gmail.com. God bless, and we will see you next time on New Season Ministry.